Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome, one and all, to my brand new podcast, Chatting with the Bond Man, the podcast where the Bond Man chats with awesome people. And today, you guys are in for a real treat because for those of you who want to get into the stunt movie business or the movie business, this is the podcast for you. To kick off my podcast, I am interviewing a very legendary stuntman by the name of Anthony DeLongas. He has been in the business for over four decades and has worked with many, many different actors and has choreographed countless stunts. He was gracious enough to let me do a half-hour interview with him. He was very wonderfully forthcoming and very generous with his time. So without further ado, on with the show. Now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome one and all to the first episode of Chatting with the Bond Man, where you where the Bond Man chats with awesome people. And today we're going to uh, interview a very legendary uh, person in the movie business. Uh, he has been in the movie business for uh, for quite a while now. And um, for those of you who want to get into the movie business or even the stunt business, this is the perfect way to uh, to learn. And ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to uh, welcome Mr. Anthony DeLongas. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for uh, appreciate your having me. Uh, you know, I uh, look forward to our chat. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule for doing this for us. This is very much appreciated. You're welcome. Yeah. So uh, the first question is is always uh, the same. Um, you grew up in California, correct? Uh, no, actually, I was born here. Um, my mother remarried, and uh, we moved to Canada, to London, Ontario, where I went all the way through public and high school. And then I came back here in uh, 1967 to go to college. And uh, I was accepted at both Northridge and uh, UCLA. Um, but I thought I'd probably be more comfortable at the smaller school. Uh, the irony of it is I then, uh, a few years later, taught uh, in the UCLA Theater Arts Department for 19 years. So I guess I got the, the best of both worlds. Well, there you go. Um, so uh, just a little side question. Uh, what kind of movies did you grow up watching? Uh, my mother was a movie fan, and I think I get much of uh, in my love of movies uh, from her. Um, well, basically, we liked a good story. We liked good characters. Um, she, well, she, uh, she was an amazing woman. Her name was Alma, and she, um, she was graduating high school when uh, the Japanese dropped, uh, or um, when they uh, bombed Pearl Harbor. So right out of high school, she went to work for the defense factories, and she built planes through the end of the war. And then she moved on to um, uh, become the first woman shift boss at Technicolor back in the old uh, three-color process days, which was the gold standard. I think it still is. I mean, it's an extraordinary color, uh, you know, in the film process, which is <laughs> they don't do only a few people do that anymore. Um, but uh, it is it is pretty wonderful. And um, any two way. But the the films that she liked. Uh, oh, I'm a huge fan of the Western genre. Um, you know, the I grew up with, um, oh, John Ford and uh, uh, oh, well, John Ford and uh, John Wayne. Oh, well, of course, John Wayne. I'm just trying to think of the other director, Howard Hawks. Uh, Howard Hawks, and uh, of course, then when I hit uh, college, um, Sergio Leone was just starting to breathe new life into what the old classic westerns were. I grew up in the fifties um, when you know that was uh, Robert Duvall likes to refer to uh, 
the Western as the uh, storytelling genre of America, you know, that the, the um, the English have Shakespeare. Uh, I started in Shakespeare at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. I've, uh, I've played Iago twice, which not very many stuntmen can brag. Um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, so you know they, they used to they used to call them odors, you know, and um, referencing what the horses ate. Uh, but you know, I was in love with it, and I. Um, always wanted to get on a horse. I had a hobby horse that I rode the hell out of, apparently, my mother tells me. And uh, then when I, um, you know, graduated college and started, uh, you know, working on my career, uh, first in theater, um, and then uh, I got my equity card in 19, I started in theater at the Old Globe in San Diego in 1973. And that's when my professional career started because that's when they started paying me. So I said, okay, now I'm a professional. I just like to work more often. It's still true. But 74, um, I got my equity card. 75, I joined SAG. Um, and I've been a member of SAG ever since. Uh, I um, started uh, adding to, I found that um, the more skills I had, the more often I worked. So that's when I started really developing my physicality and my weapons expertise. Um, I was a collegiate saber champion. That was my first martial art. I worked with uh, um, Maestro Ralph Faulkner, who was known as the Swordmaster to the Stars. He did uh, well everything from the original um, Prisoner of Zenda, you know, with Ronald Coleman and Doug Fairbanks Jr. to uh, the Court Jester and you know the Seventh Budget Sinbad and many, many more in between. Um, extraordinarily, an extraordinary teacher, a wonderful man. And then, then I did Taekwondo um, and, you know, have a few roles where I was uh, doing some kicking. I did um, Circle of Iron with, uh, I worked with David Carradine three times. The first time was in Israel on Circle of Iron. And now I did, uh, it was actually great fun. It was where I first met, um, um, oh golly, what's this guy in, um, Ah, the name just flew out of my head. Uh, Lauren, Lauren Janes. Lauren Janes, who was the, um, you know, extraordinary stuntman. He was uh, Steve McQueen's uh, stunt double. He, um, oh, he was working a show called um, MacGyver, the first one. And I did the uh, the climax, uh, climactic um to the end of the first season, it was called Pietro the Assassin, which was an ideal role for me because I could combine both my physical skills and my acting skills uh, into this great role. I had multiple uh, accents that I was doing. And then I was literally back in the day, I could do that, you know, pinning myself to the ceiling like a ninja and, you know, having hidden scars and, you know, secret curare needles. And it, it was a wonderful role and had a grand time. I, and then of course I'd run into um, Lauren, you know, a few times over my career is uh, always such a pleasure and uh, he he was uh, originally going to um i later on i did uh, masters of the universe and i played blade which uh was uh, all over the world i've traveled and it's amazing how many people uh love that movie and were affected by that movie and you know just that cartoons that were growing up and mine was a character that i got to create because it didn't exist in the um in the highland in the uh, rather the um he-Man universe, uh, Walter Scott was uh, the coordinator on that. And that was my first time meeting Walter. And Walter, uh, 
So, well, Lauren uh, was originally going to be the sword master and Lauren saw it was me and he says, well, you know more about this than I do. You trained Dolph Lundgren. So I trained Dolph Lundgren and I performed with him as Blade. And then I ended up doubling Frank Langella because, you know, well, Walter's no fool. Walter Scott's no fool. He said, well, I got you as an asset, you know, and uh, well, we'll just, <laughs> you're on salary. So <laughs> we'll just uh, utilize your, you know, as much as possible. So it made it, it made it a fun and busy shoot for me. Um, but that was, uh, it was great fun and, uh, working with both those gentlemen. I worked with Walter several times. I worked with them first on that. And then I worked with them on, oh, bad girls. And then the magnificent seven. And then, um, our last great collaboration was on secondhand lions where uh, I did all the flashback sword play for him. And I was with Michael Caine and uh, Robert Duval and, uh, Haley Joe Osmond. Um, uh, but I guess about a year after that, um, uh, Christian Kane called me up and he was doing a show called uh, Leverage. And he said, they want to introduce my character, you know, as this, um, essentially the muscle, you know, the, you know, real badass. And, uh, you know, I said, well, get Anthony DeLongis in here and, you know, he'll, he'll make me look good. And, uh, so they, uh, they called me in and in about 45 minutes, cause I'd had uh, the opportunity to train him and Christian's very talented. And so in less than an hour, we put together a five phase fight that we shot as masters, uh, Charlie, uh, uh, Brewer, I believe, was the coordinator, but he was very pleased. He just basically um, did a um, oh <clears throat> um, a steady cam, and he shot our he shot our fight. We were on on this location in the kitchen. He says you can't break anything. <laughs> So I said, okay. So we danced around in here with, uh, you know, I was the butcher of Kiev. So I was playing the Russian character with, you know, he's very famous, uh, you know, uh, very, very bad guy. And uh, so I said, well, you know, I, they had it in the script that I was supposed to get a knife out of a block. And, um, and the only piece of choreography in the script was I had to be disarmed with a whisk, you know, a kitchen whisk, because uh, Chris and Kane was masquerading as a chef. So I said, well, if this guy's the butcher of Kiev, he probably has his own weapon. So I had my very good friend, Dave Baker, um, you know, cre create a, a cleaver for me overnight. Uh, the, the prop guy was very happy. And so, you know, I pulled that out and then I grabbed the knife. And so now I've got a weapon in each hand and Christian's canes grabbing pots and things. And we did this, but I was very proud of him because there aren't a lot of actors who can do a five phrase fight start to finish. And we just shot three masters and we were done. And they took it apart for the show, but I, I put it back together again because it's a good fight. So that's, that was fun. It's where, um, well, as I said, I started, uh, I started with European fencing and then I went to Taekwondo and then I, I trained with Guru Dan and Asanto for over a decade in Filipino martial arts. And now I'm currently, I think in about my 12th year, um, under Kaisto, uh, Toshishiro Obata and my sensei, Matthew Lynch in Japanese swordplay, which is kind of fun because, um, my inspiration for getting into choreography initially on stage were the films of Akira Kurosawa, uh, Yojimbo and Sanjuro and Seven Samurai and, you know, all of those, because I thought, um, and here, here was the point. They told a really dynamic character driven story with their action. It wasn't, um, sometimes the action be, can be a, a lot of athletics that's seemingly unmotivated or it's like, well, that's really flashy, but what am I seeing? You know, um, there's, 
alas, um, you know, we went through a long period uh, of shaky vision and wobble scope and, you know, quick cuts and the camera being way too close. Uh, I come from a stage background, so I'm going, if I can't follow the narrative, how am I supposed to get emotionally invested in these characters? So I've tried to take that into my choreography. Um, one of the things I did was uh, Highlander, I guess, started on Highlander in season three. And um, they were very, very pleased. Apparently, Adrian Paul, the star, called up the producers and said, this guy's really good. Do we have to kill him? He says, oh, yeah, he has to die. And so I spent the next year going, how do I get back on the show? And, they said, oh, but you were so distinct. And I says, I'm an actor. I can be different. They said, well, if you can come up with a backstory. So, so by that point, they were heading into their fifth season, which was almost 100 hours of television. And I said, well, how about this? No, we did that one. And how about this? No, we did that one. And they said, well, how about the debt that can never be repaid? and they like that and um it was kind of funny because i had just uh i had just presented sword ideas to um robert rodriguez who was supposed to do zorro um the anthony hopkins um uh, zorro uh, and uh alas three days later he left the project and martin campbell brought in uh Bob Anderson, you can't kick about Bob Anderson. I mean, he's, <laughs> he, he earned his place at the top. Uh, so I didn't get that. But a week later, um, the producer of Highland called me up and says, you want to go to Paris? We wrote this episode for you. And I says, yes, I do. And I um, actually introduced a fighting style that had never been seen on film before called uh, the Mysterious Circle. Uh, it was by a sword master from the 17th century called uh, Thibault. Um, he's actually one of the names they throw out in the princess bride, which is very funny. Uh, but it was, I was very pleased that it was, what makes it exciting is, um, you're always at swords point. It's, it's a, it's very close up. You're always within one step of being either able to hit or to hit. And it's all about subtle, elusive footwork to create superior leverage, which is a foundational principle of all martial arts. Uh, but we just, we'd never seen this style before. So I not only got to create a role uh, that had been written for me based on my idea, but then I also got to um, present a style of rapier and dagger fighting that in all of the, um, well, in all the years and all the Three Musketeer movies and however many times we had seen swordplay, because we went from Westerns to, <laughs> I mean, they've made the Three Musketeers about 12 times, um, but it had never been done before. So I'm, um, you know, I was pretty excited about that. That was a lot of fun. What it comes down to, uh, and here would be, you know, <laughs> such advice as I can give, is uh, never stop learning, never stop training, because knowledge is choices, and your art is in your choices. And so I can, uh, with all of this background uh, and these, well, I've been a working professional 47 years and counting now. Um, I can make a weapon of opportunity out of pretty much anything. I can I can give you a classic interpretation of specific weapons and specific periods and fighting styles. Um, but I can also take that knowledge and, you know, um, I trained Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. I trained Harrison Ford with the whip for Indiana Jones, Crystal Skull. I trained the whip fighters in the rundown. Uh, trained Ellen Barkin and Angelica Houston as... Um, Calamity Janes in various projects. I uh, actually I came in on Bad Girls with a whip for uh, Walter Scott again. So um, and for Tony Boggs, Tony Boggs, I did a thing for him in a, in a project called Into the West. 
Um, so basically, uh, but I can take that knowledge and anything flexible. Like I've um, done done action sequences for um, you know it was it was a woman and she was up up against a much bigger and better um, better trained. Um, killer essentially and um, by stealing the belt off of somebody else it gave her an equalizer so i was able to do things that i would had originally figured out with the whip with a belt um and as i said it gave her an equalizer but the um the idea is i always try to make sure that my action drives story and articulates character and that the audience can follow the narrative of it so they become emotionally invested on a uh, visceral level with the story and with the character and it's just much more satisfying for everybody oh definitely definitely and back to what you said about um you know uh, being a stage actor i was a stage actor for a long time myself i've done i've done musicals i've done regular plays and uh, it's very true you have to really get emotionally invested in your character and one thing i've noticed between stage and film is that um, when you're on stage, you have to exaggerate your acting just a little bit because you are in front of people and you do have to raise your voice, you know, just a little bit so the audience can hear you. Um, but but you are totally correct though. You do have to um, really invest in your character, whether you're on camera or on screen. Uh, you know, especially with method acting. And so I, I've done I've done Greece like maybe two or three times. And I was, I was Danny one time and I was Kanicki in the other. And, um, being that I was in high school at the time, I basically just, um, I tried talking like Jeff Conway, but I just ended up sounding like Fonzie from happy days. So, <laughs> cause you know. Well, it's you, you, you of course have to invest, or I would say you know, another word might be commit <clears throat> to your choices, yeah. you know, for to create your character for the audience so that they see somebody that they can identify with and who's, and, and, and a character that they want to go on the journey with. Um, I was I was talking a little more towards um, the idea you you are trying to coax the audience into investing emotionally in the character and the story you're telling, and it's 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 a combination of the two. You talk about stage; um, it is a little more exaggerated, but you know I would I would say um, you have you have to project what you're doing because you're in a theater and you have anywhere from 60 to 3000 people, um, you know, in it. And, uh, you have to make sure that, you know, everybody gets the good stuff. Um, so, so that's, that's craft. And that comes down to, um, you need to know what the technical aspects are of the medium that you're working in and then be able to get them to work for you. For example, um, well, on stage, you understand when I say that you open to the audience. Uh, a lot of beginning actors will have a tendency to close themselves off and they, they're kind of hiding. So the audience can't really see what they're doing. You can't do that. Your choices always have to. And if you're working in the round, you have to be able to move so that at least 90% of the audience gets to see what you're doing all the time um you know proscenium is of course flat like you know the camera's locked off you know in the round you've got this or a thrust theater but you get into film and television uh you need to understand um you know i i i don't bother the director very much i learned that early on um when i was a performer you know i i I, but i i made friends with the cameraman i'm going where's this shot you know, if because if it's in a full shot, <laughs> they used to call them the five T's, but that's a different story. Uh, if you're in a full shot, I get to use my whole body. 
if you're in a medium close-up, I have half my body. If you're in a tight close-up, you know, then I, you know, so I have to be sure that I'm not rocking in and out of frame. If I'm talking to three different people uh, in a full shot, I get to use some of my body. In a medium close-up, I only, it's, it's a lot less. In a tight close-up, it's almost just the eyes. So understanding the, um, the, te the technical demands uh, of the particular medium, you know, they say it's a director's medium, uh, but yeah, he's setting up his shot and you, he, whatever you do, you have to be able to match what you did in the master or you're going to end up on the floor because he can't cut to you. So that's, yeah. that's something that's required of you in, in the stunt business, um, in the action business, um, you have to understand where the camera is and, um, like with a punch, you know, it's, it is very easy for a punch to miss. And if the punch misses, then your credibility for the whole sequence goes out the window. And these days the camera is almost constantly in motion. So as a performer, you have to understand these are the angles that this work from. Uh, and I have to be sure that I'm always presenting the angles to camera. Or if you have multiple cameras, you're going, okay, I know this works on these two cameras. It doesn't work on this one, but we do have the shots so that, you know, we can edit the sequence together and it's very effective for the audience. So these are, these are things that, um, you know, it is your job to learn and understand and then maximize. Definitely. And, and you are, again, you are right about, um, you know, when it comes to punches and other things, because as I remember, I was doing my homework on the Indiana Jones movies and in Raiders, particularly, uh, Steven Spielberg had three of the best stuntmen in history working on that film. He had, uh, Glenn Randall. He, uh, he was, uh, he was, uh, the coordinator, like the fight choreographer, uh, Terry Leonard is, as we all know, as the, the stunt guy who went under the truck and um for you indie freaks out there he's the one who actually invented that stunt and uh vic armstrong have you met vic armstrong um i uh, i know his brother um okay. i i spoke with vic uh, i was trying to get him to hire me for uh, a job but he, he he was going in hong kong it was the uh the third mummy movie and he said hey I can't, I can't really use you at sea. It's mostly Asians. And I went, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it, sir. Thanks for getting back. To me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually um, Terry, I mean, he executed that stunt beautifully. He, uh, and he came back and did it again for um, Maverick, the, the, the Mel Gibson Maverick, but no, the Yakima cannot invented that stunt. Uh, right. For, uh, stagecoach. But that's yeah. true. But uh, Terry, you know, Terry did him proud, you know, and uh, and actually, you know, they had to dig a trench for him because the truck was was too low. So not only is he, you know, under there and imperiled and, you know, he's doing that, he's doing all that he's doing, you know, and making Harrison look great. But he also has to stay within the trench. So I don't know who was driving, but uh, I think it was a team effort. Uh, Glenn Randall was actually the one who was driving the truck. Cause I remember watching the, uh, I remember watching the, um, the documentary and Terry said, uh, he said, Glenn, you're driving the truck. He said, I have a lot of confidence in Glenn. I trust my life with them. Uh, and, and it's true. They did dig a, dig a trench under the, under the truck because the gearbox was way too big and Terry didn't have enough clearance going to the truck. And, mm -hmm. uh, and also I, I know he didn't invent this stuff, but it was his idea for the movie because it's been eating away yeah. at him for so long because of what happened in stage coach. <laughs> Uh, the uh, what happened in um, 
for um, Lone Ranger, Legend of the Lone Ranger. Um, okay. He said one of the wheels broke his handhold loose and shot him out of the passenger side of the coach, and one of the wheels rode under his legs. And and he said, needless to say, if he hadn't gone out there head first, it would have been a completely different story. And so Terry wanted to redeem himself in Raiders and said, is there any chance I can go under the truck and come out through the back of the truck? And then they said, hey, not a bad idea. So it's one of those great moments oh, I where did, I, I didn't know that much detail. And that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. just thought that, uh, you know, when when you do something well, you know, it, it becomes an homage. And, you know, or when you take something that you've seen before in another medium, in another time, and you can, you know, uh, utilize that story it's sort of like you're building on you know a story that people are familiar with and then they just go you know they, they love it all the more so no oh, yeah enormous respect and admiration for you know terry and and glenn and uh Vic as well yeah and uh vic armstrong they used him for most of harrison's doubling because back in those days he he pretty much resembled harrison um and uh, from what I remember, <clears throat> in Temple of Doom, Harrison suffered a horrible back injury <clears throat> uh, doing a, um, a stunt where he's fighting a guy in his hotel room and he flips him over in the back and his back just went out on him. And so they had to um, fly him to L.A. to get a surgery done. And uh, so they had Vic Armstrong uh, doing the uh, the conveyor belt crusher scene. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so they had to. So basically, during that scene, when you see the back of Indy, that's Vic Armstrong. Uh, doing his thing and then when Harrison came back six weeks later they just plugged in his close-ups well you know you, you you do what you have to do in order to uh you know deliver the product uh and it um you know it's 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 very effective it worked great you know uh you, know, you can't really get better storytellers than Steven Spielberg um, of course but he um Oh, uh, yeah. So, no, it it worked very well. I was uh, there are times uh, like, the, you know, the whip happens to be one of my loves. And what I wanted to see was uh, I like to see the whip in action. And we've really only seen the whip start to finish once. And, uh, and it was in Temple of Doom. Otherwise, uh, he had always done it in a series of cuts, which it, it worked fine story wise because the imagination of the audience put the story together. And I mean, that was one of the things that inspired me to uh, I actually created my own system of working with the whip. It's the DeLon just rolling loop. Uh, to me, it's a flexible supersonic blade. So I utilize the eight angles of attack. And whereas most people yank and slash, my system rolls and stabs, which is both um, more efficient, more effective. It's safer. I have safety factors built in there because I can, I can not hit you. I can strike anything you want me to hit, or I can send the whip past the person I'm working with so that it cracks and then comes back and envelops them from, again, those all, all those eight angles. Um, it's one of the things I'm proudest of. The whip's the first man-made tool to break the sound barrier. It dates to 3000 BC in uh, both the Egyptian and Chinese cultures that we know. So it's 5,000 years old. So it's always historically correct. I was always, um, I'd always wanted the chance to whisper into Steven Spielberg's ear that you should have Indy at some point, you know, dust off some, you know, little piece of rock or whatever. And there's a figure with a whip because it would be, you know, uh, it, it would be true and it would be fun because the whip is, of course, Indy's. Uh, iconic character action prop that's that, that totally so uh just real quick i um we are running out of time here but i also i, I do uh want to um know a little bit about when you were on lock and load with arlie army you were on two episodes you're on the sword and the pistol episode and you were showing gunny um how to 
uh, ride a horse while shooting a gun at a certain object. And we definitely saw that that is a lot harder than it looks. So it's all about timing. Yes. Um, uh, yes, it is. Well, I, I specialize in um, doing precision weapons work on horseback. Uh, that was, I came to it late in life. I was almost 40. Some 30 years later, I've been on horseback in 11 countries on five continents and everywhere I've gone. Uh, I have gotten a horse comfortable with my having a whip or a sword or a lance and occasionally, you know, uh, firearms. Um, I, I, I take the time. It doesn't take long, um, but I take the time to make the horse an ally rather than surprising them. I've, I've had to work a, a couple of times on situations where it was a big surprise to the horse. And it's like, yeah, well, you, I hope you got it in that one shot because he knows what's coming now and he doesn't trust me anymore. But um, I can take, well, it's on my reel. If anybody goes to my website, delongis.com, D-E-L-O-N-G-S.com, and go to the uh, Swordmaster reel and you'll see me take a target. This was on um, More Extreme Marksman where um, we were doing stuff and showing, okay, the precision, I actually, I cut a wick out from underneath the candle flame and the flame is still there, but the wick is gone. And then we show the power of the whip. And, um, you know, I have, my buddy is holding a wine glass and I just cut right through it and then the glass explodes. But we said, well, what else can we do? So I said, well, okay, how about if I ride by these three targets that are set at different angles and I will cut them with the whip as I ride by. And then we did one where my buddy took off and I caught him and I, cut a target out of his left hand and then we did a head-to-head -head charge where i'm coming at him and i roll the whip right past the horse's head and crack, crack a target out of his hand um and that that required they were my horses that requires um a horse to really trust you because you know people don't like to have a whip crack in their face <laughs> neither do horses either but oh, even in the night, and so it's um that's that's the kind of precision i can work at you know and that's I like to train to be able to actually do something because it makes it really easy to film. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. All right. So the final question is for those of you who want to get into the stunt business, uh, what would you recommend for them to do? What's like, uh, is there, is there the, uh, like the, the one golden key or is this one of those definite jobs where you have to pay your dues? Yes. Um, I, I have no idea what the, uh, the golden key is in that there, um, the entertainment business is, is highly, highly, highly competitive. Yes. And you know, I've worked as, as an actor in front of the camera. I've worked as a fight coordinator and a weapons expert or a teacher trainer, or, um, you know, behind, you know, behind the camera, I'm helping somebody else look really good. I've doubled people before, which, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to do to, you know, raise another, give their character another, you know, layer of credibility. I, I do voice work. Um, that's where my theater training, you know, has given me yet another, you know, potential opportunity, um, I take my weapon skills, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always learning and training to add to my, to my skills. Um, there isn't a, any secret. Um, they, the the um, opportunity is always the most difficult thing. So uh, you, you, you need to, you need to train so that when an opportunity presents itself, you can uh, maximize that opportunity and hopefully turn it into more things. Um, it's, you can't know too much. Uh, I, 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 
guess I keep circling around to this, keep training, keep learning. Um, you will probably come, if you're trying to get into the stunt business, you will probably come with a specialty um, where you're as good as or better than pretty much anybody else at that skill. Um, and that is a good place to begin. But if you can only do one thing, uh, you won't work as often. So uh, if that is what gets you into the industry or while you're attempting to convince somebody to give you a chance that you'll you know a be safe and b you know be able to really deliver the goods uh you need to be adding to your skills the the more the more skills you have the more rounded you are the more likely you'll be able to uh um connect one job to another the more you'll be able to come uh contribute to a team because you know um I've been in the I'm, I'm in the actors branch of the um, motion picture in you know, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and you know I keep uh, I'm certainly not alone, but uh, it's like nothing puts the art and the science into movies more so than stunt and action. Uh, it is it's an amazing combination of creativity and expertise and teamwork. Um, so it's. That's it's why so many people want to do it. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for doing this for me. And uh, it's an honor to have a legendary um, person in the movie business to be my first guest on my podcast, a brand new podcast. Um, don't forget to uh, go on to uh, the Bond Man Productions. That is my YouTube channel. Um, and uh, hopefully more and more episodes will come around. Who knows? Maybe I'll interview Tony Boggs next. You never know. Uh, you could, you know, Tony <clears throat> Either, yeah, that would be a real coup for you because uh, Tony's pretty quiet, but uh, he has a lot of stories, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience. He's, uh, he's a wonderful man. Please give him my regards and respect. I will definitely do so. And I will see you on the ranch for my whip training. Uh, sounds good. I look forward to your call. All right. Oh, Thank you so much. Me. Let people know that people come from all over the country, all over the world to train with me here at Rancho Andalo in Canyon Country. Yes, and absolutely. We tailor things so when people want to add to their skills, come see me. Yeah, for those of you who want to uh, master in uh, wit craft and sword craft and martial arts and so on, Mr. DeLongis here will teach you all the tricks of the trade. And who knows, you might be the next Jet Li if you're lucky. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All right. Thank Thanks, you Mark. so much. All right. No, bye-bye. Have a good one.